Hey, turn with your Bibles today, the book of Psalms, chapter number 30. Psalms 30. For you that don't know, we have two grandchildren, Shannon and I do. Uh, Gideon, 18 months old, and then Shepherd, who's just a few weeks old. Uh, Gideon, I've talked about the most. I'm just in fact, I got a picture I want to show you if you don't know who he is right here. Isn't he cute? Isn't he cute? Some say he looks like me. Um, but he is so, such a darling. But don't let that sweet little innocent smile fool you. Uh, just recently, we had his first school pictures taken. And I say school being Mother's Day out, and uh, they count. And so we got our Mother's Day out photos sent to us, and here is the best one. It is just dynamite. <laughs> And let me just say, it took adult leaders to restrain him just to get that picture. I mean, if you look closer, there is somebody holding him. And he is all along saying, never. (laughs) Uh, And I love the up-close picture because it gives you a real feel of just the dynamics of what is going on (laughs) inside of him. That booger sticking out. (laughs) Gideon has, he put it in a four-letter word, grit. Grit. Today I want to talk to you about gritty joy. We're starting a new series called Joy. We have come three weeks out of lament. And I've chosen the passage in Psalms 30 because I feel like it is a good springboard because David is lamenting, but he is learning to find joy joy in his struggle. And so I've titled the message, Gritty Joy. Gritty Joy. The, the word grit just literally means this. Number one is a hard, sharp, granular substance, like as in sand. But the second definition is what I want you to focus in on, firmness of mind or spirit, specifically this part, unyielding joy in the face of hardship or danger. Unyielding Joy, unyielding joy. What does King David have to teach us about gritty joy? He was a gritty person. Anyone who kills a bear and kills a lion and then kills Goliath has a lot of grit. On top of that, when he is going to win over his bride, which is the king's daughter, he goes out and kills Four, excuse me, 200 Philistines and brings back their foreskins as the prize to win over his new bride. That's some grit. What can we learn from King David? I'm going to give you three things that we can learn from him today. The first one to write down is this, that joy comes from realizing what God has done for you. That joy comes from realizing what God has done for you. Uh, Being raised in a home where my mother did basically everything for me, I did not appreciate, and I did not find joy in my mom's giving to us until I was on my own. When I went off and as a single young man and on my own, and after about the third week of throwing my dirty clothes into a closet, uh, I looked around and 
they haven't been washed and they haven't been folded and hadn't been put away. And I realized how much my mom did for me. My mom did not always clean our room, but she would do the deep cleaning to our room. But every food, every meal, whether it be breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I never had to think about. It was just kind of there. I gained a deep appreciation for my mom and a joy for her. David is gaining a deeper appreciation for what God has done for him. Listen to what it says. I will exalt you, Lord. You rescued me. You let refuse to let my enemies triumph over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me from the grave, oh, Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Do you hear him just reminiscing about what God has done for him? He's gaining joy from that. We'll, we'll dive into it in just a little bit. I was thinking of a friend of mine who... Basically, every time I bring up or he brings up or thinks about what happened 20 years ago, it's like he goes back into the moment. He gets frustrated, gets struggled. He just kind of just revisits that. And all, all those emotions come back. And I kind of remind him, like, you know, hey, dude, you know, <laughs> there may be something you still need to work, work through with this past stuff. Forgiveness, healing, all these things, because you keep revisiting what you went through. You see, there's some people that just continually want to revisit what they went through instead of celebrating who brought them through it. And God wants you to stop and celebrate what he has done for you instead of complaining what happened to you. Two people I've talked to over the past few weeks, one was a young girl who had been quarantined, uh, COVID quarantine, um, was okay, went through it fine, but I asked how the experience was. And she was very positive. She was like, it was really a great experience. I was like, oh, really? Tell me about it. Actually, I got a lot accomplished. I made a lot of lists. I knocked off a lot of things I needed to do. I, I called a lot of people, did a FaceTime with a lot of family members I hadn't had FaceTime with. I read several books. I was actually able to get a lot of work done, too, for my work. And it was just like all positive. On the other hand, I talked to another guy a couple days later, disconnected, not, same, not, not even connected to each other. And I knew he'd been quarantined, asked about his experience. And his experience went something like this. Man, it was horrible. It was like the worst, you know, 14 days of my life. I think he actually spent 12 days. 12 days of my life. It was just horrible. I mean, I couldn't talk to anybody, couldn't see anybody. And I mean, I had all the stuff that needed to be done. And it was so boring. I was just, I watched all these movies and just got, it was just, I, it was just horrible. And I look at both of them like, why this person and why this person? Well, what is the difference? And the difference is the lens with which you see life. It's the perspective with which you see things. And I wrote this down after hearing the second guy. There is always in everything an opportunity for joy. Let me say it one more time. There is always in everything an opportunity for joy. That's why David said in verse 4, listen to what he says. He says, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. After he stops and reflects on what God has brought him through, he stops and say, okay, because of what God has brought me through, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to praise God. Mm. You see, there's many struggles that we have. All of us go through them. All of us go through them. No exceptions in the room. We all experience struggles. But notice how David, his perspective, when he is being chased like a dog, a wild animal, 
hiding in caves for 15 years. Get the picture of that. He's been chased by King Saul with 3,000 of his most elite men. Here's what David writes in Psalms 4 and verse 7. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. What is he saying? I may be inside of a cave. I may be chased down. I may be having to relocate myself again and again. But in the middle of all of that, I am filled with more joy than the person sitting in a plush palace enjoying the best of food and the best of wine because I've got your presence here with me. Notice verse number five. For his anger, speaking of the anger of God, only lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. What is David trying to drive home here? He's saying, just like an earthly father will discipline you in his anger, and if you've got a good father, who a godly man, he's going to get angry at times. He's going to get angry because, you know what? He wants to correct you so that you will be redirected in life. He wants to make sure that you don't go down that path and end up destroying your life. So a good father will get angry and pull out the rod of discipline so that he can turn you around from the path that you're going. And so God, our heavenly father, so much more wants to redirect us and bring us back on course of where he wants us. And sometimes he will show his anger in our life, but it's not because he don't love us. It's because he does love us that he shows anger. Look at verse five, continuing. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. David is saying morning, M-O-U-R-I-N-G, only last till morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Morning only lasts till morning. What is David saying? David is saying, just as sure as the sun is going to come up tomorrow, my God is going to bring joy back in your life again. Let that sink in for just a moment. Are you facing a health issue? Just as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow, my God will bring joy back in your life. Are you facing financial difficulties, a loss of job? Just as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow, my God can bring joy back into your life. Just as sure as you're going through a difficult, dark time in your life, and just as sure as the sun is going to come up, my God can turn things around and in the darkness of night can bring the bright light of the Son of God back into your life that gives hope for your future. My God can restore. The second thing that David teaches us about gritty joy is this. Joy comes from not losing focus of where joy comes from. Joy comes from not losing focus of where joy comes from. How many of you lost power in the ice storm? Anybody? Got a few hands? Several hands, lots of hands, lots of hands. Shannon and I worked without electricity for seven days. Seven days without electricity, and we have a well water too. We're on a well system, so imagine that. Seven days without electricity. But don't feel too sorry for us, because while we had no electricity, we had power. In 2007, we went through the ice storm then, we lost electricity for several days, and we had no power. And it was colder, and it was a pretty hard many days. And I decided then, if I ever built a house, I was going to build and put in a generator that would be connected to natural gas, 
And if we ever lost electricity, it would immediately switch over and we would still have power for the whole house. And so we did that. And so it was finally put to the test and we lost electricity, but it clicked right over to natural gas and operated everything in our house and we didn't skip a beat. I want you to write this down. And if you remember one thing, remember this as you leave from here. Where your joy comes from determines when it runs out. Let it sink in. Because some of us are getting our joy from a lot of places that's going to eventually run out. Come on, it's kind of like the, the, uh, the, the flame burning on the stove on a gas stove. You see the flame and you shut it off. Did the flame go away? You might not be able to see it, but it's still there. You see, the answer is you got to come up really close to that gas stove and look outside and you can still see the flicker of a what? Pilot light that's still going. And I see that this can happen with children of God. Children of God may have sometimes a flame of fire of joy of the Lord bounce, but then sometimes you go through difficult times, but that doesn't mean the flame has been distinguished. It is still there. You might have to look close, but down deep inside, there is a flame that this world cannot take away. No circumstances can take it away because it is drawing its source from something that will never run out. It's an eternal joy. Notice verse number six. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O oh Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. What is this about? David is saying to us and reminding us is that be careful if you draw your sense of strength from yourself. In other words, he is saying that pride eventually will drain your joy. He is immediately identifying that I've got, I'm on top of the world. I'm prosperous, nothing can stop me now. And I forgot that it's God that had made me secure on the mountaintop. It is God that took care of me. And when that happened, God turned from me because my God doesn't want me to be dependent upon me. He wants me to depend upon him. And if God has to turn his back to you to get your attention, he will do it. And it's not because he hates you, it's because he loves you. And wants you to be reminded that it's not you and it's not your power and it's not your ability, but it's him and him alone who supplies you with the joy that you need in your life. Verse number eight. He continues on, I cried out to you, O Lord, I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die? If I sink into the grave, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. What is going on here? David is turning from his pride, and he's running to the presence of God. You see, the answer to pride is time in God's presence. God's presence will fuel your joy when you're facing difficult times. I enjoy a lot of things, and we should. Matter of fact, what God has created for you is meant to be enjoyed, but it's not meant to be your source of joy. I, I, I enjoy watching sports, but I watch sometimes as people come into church on a Sunday morning, and they can't worship Jesus for what happened on Saturday. 
And they are depending upon their joy upon 18 to 21 year old men that they don't know, they just read about in newspapers and see on TV that run around in spandex, chasing an oblong ball made of pigskin and they worship them. And so if they lose or don't come through for them, they walk in here beat down on Sunday because of what happened on the gridiron on Saturday. I'm telling you, you don't have to let those 18 to 21 year old boys determine your joy in life. And you don't have to let the Wall Street determine your joy in life. And you don't have to let the White House determine your joy in life. And you don't have to let any place determine your joy in life. You don't have to let the doctor determine your joy in life. You don't have to let anything determine your joy in life. You can allow Jesus Christ to be the joy of your life. Joy. Verse number 16. He says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. David, you'll show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. What does that mean? Whenever I was young, I loved to get presents on Christmas. Christmas is coming, right? It's around the corner. I long to get presents. Now at my age, I don't think about presents. You know what I think about? My kids being present. Spiritual maturity happens when you get to the point where you're like, I don't care about what all the presence God gets, I'm, I wanna be in his presence. That's what I need. That's what I want. That's what I long for. He, hear me. And when I talk about his presence, you don't have to wait till Thursday evening or you don't have to wait till Sunday morning to get here, any of our locations, and they're like, I'm in the presence of God. Oh, I need to be in God's presence. I hope that you come in here and you feel God's presence. I hope that you are in, you, that you experience the anointing of God and, and that breaks yokes. I, I hope that you can experience the presence of God that heals and that gives you hope and you get vision, you get a word. I hope all that, but you don't have to wait till Sunday morning to get the presence of God. The presence of God is in your home. The presence of God is in your cubicle. The presence of God is in your car when you drive down the road. The presence of God, you see, because my God says that I am an ever-present help in time of need. So when you're in a doctor's office and you've got the bad report, my God is there and present and ever a help in time of need. When you are facing difficulties and your spouse is treating you badly, my God is an ever present help in time of need and he will be there with you. Hmm. Verse number 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothe me with joy, that I might sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Isn't that beautiful? I think of Shirley Caesar, a song that she used to sing, one of the great gospel artists of all time. And she would sing, this joy that I have the world didn't give it to me, this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Oh yes. Third thing is this, joy comes from chasing what is set before you. Joy comes from chasing what is, what is set before you. What is set, what, 
what is your real goal in life? Because whatever it is will determine when it is there or not there. It will determine your level of joy. There's a book called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. And basically the premise of this book is looking at CEOs across America and basically it's dealing with that the, oftentimes those who rise to the top are not the ones that are the most gifted, but those who have the most grit. Go back to the definition of grit, unyielding joy in face of hardship or danger. And those who rise to the top have the most grit. I have found this in the Christian walk, that those that seem to rise above the circumstances of life don't always have the most gifted, they're not always the most talented, but they're those who have the most grit. That unyielding joy in face of hardship and in face of danger. And David had that grit. David had that in him. Look at Psalms 30, and the very introduction of Psalms 30 says this, a psalm of David, a song for the dedication of the temple. David had set that he wanted to build the temple. And so he calls in Nathan, the prophet, and he says, hey, I want to build the temple of God so that we can worship him. And David, Nathan says to David, do what's in your heart. Go do it. Nathan goes home that night, an angel of the Lord visits him, and God speaks to him and says, no, 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 no. You go back and tell David that he is not to be the man to build the temple. It'd be passed down to his son. He would actually never see the temple built himself, but he would be help him. So Nathan goes back and tells David that you are not to build the temple. What was David's response? He immediately switched gears. and He said, okay. He accepted it and said, I'm focused on what God's given me to do. Because you see, his real heart was not set on, I want to build a temple. His real heart was set on, I want to honor God. You see, because when you've had your heart set on, I want this in life, and it's taken away, you will lose your joy unless your real heart is set on pleasing God. And I know this about David, because David was anointed as king when he was young. And then for 15 years of his life, he runs for his life. But there was times he could have took the kingdom like that, easy peasy. One time, King Saul comes into a cave to relieve himself with 3,000 of his men outside after King David, or after David, the shepherd boy, who was anointed king. But then David could have killed him and refused to, saying, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. What was David saying? He's saying, I'm not having my heart set on being a king. I have my heart set on pleasing the king of kings. You, you get the difference? Because when your heart's set on pleasing the king of kings, the king of kings will raise you to be king. And when you have your heart set on the king of kings, it doesn't matter what happens in life, your joy is not going to be taken away. Even if you're hiding in a cave, even if you're running for your life for 15 years, even when your home life is not that great, when you have your focus upon the king of kings, it is going to be okay because he is going to be the one that's your source of joy at all times. And we also learn this from another king, King Jesus. King Jesus in Hebrews chapter number one, chapter number 12 and verse number one, it says, therefore we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with patience or with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto, verse number two, 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, set before him, he endured, had grit for the cross. Disregarding its shame, now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. What is this about? Basically, the writer is wanting us to understand the grit that Jesus had. The unyielding joy in face of hardship and difficulty. Jesus did not find joy in the cross, at least the physical pain of it. He found joy in what the cross was going to do. Do do you hear me? And what we have to do and understand is that our joy should come on not what we are going through, but what the outcome is going to be when we get through. That what God is going to do through us, through the time of difficulty, is going to be worth it when everything is said and done. Because we have our hearts set up on God and not on the things of this earth. We have our hearts set up on him above everything else in life. In fact, Jesus made it very clear that he did not want to die and suffer. He cried out to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if you will remove this cup from suffering from me, I'll be happy for that. But not my will, but your will be done. And what we must remember is that whatever we go through is that, Father, I know you can deliver me, you can heal me, you can restore me, you can take this away from me, but God, not my will, your will be done. Because I know the end product is I'm gonna be better for what I go through because you're gonna get me through it. It's not gonna be myself, it's not gonna be my works, you're gonna get me through this. What you set before you is where your joy comes from. I've seen athletes struggle throughout a year, losing key games, hurting in their body, struggling to make it to the end of the season, and then they win the championship. And the moment they win that championship, they fall to their knees, weeping and crying. Why? Because the struggle has been worth it. Why does a mama, after she has given birth, after nine months of pain, travail, struggle, she gives birth, there should be rejoicing, right? And what does she do? She takes the baby. She begins to weep over that baby because that's joy unspeakable. What happens to the pageant contestant? who has given and just wouldn't eat certain things, had worked out, has trained and trained and trained to discipline her body. And the moment the crown is put on her head, she begins to what? Weep and cry. You see, the greater the resistance that you will face, the greater rejoicing that you will experience. The greater that God is going to show you a sense of joy in the end. What is it you're facing right now? Psalms 32 says this, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Oh, what joy. Maybe you're here and you need Christ, your Lord and Savior. The greatest joy you can have is your sins forgiven and your sins being cast out of sight. Father, I pray right now, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you need Christ as your Lord and Savior, my word says that he will give you everlasting life through the forgiveness of sins that he provides. What you must do is call out to him. Call out to him and say, Father God, I need your forgiveness. I need you. Do that right now. 
and you'll be forgiven. You'll be made a child of God. You'll be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Father, I ask this in your name. May your Holy Spirit convict, touch, change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.